This is episode 20 of Free as in Freedom for Tuesday, January 17th, 2012. Hi, I'm Karen Sandler. And I'm Bradley Kuhn. This is Free as in Freedom. And uh, the fact is that we just released one uh, F just before we <laughs> recorded this. Just minutes. Yeah, well, twenty minutes, but oh, okay. Uh, Time we're, so we're recording the day you all heard one F. Uh, actually, Linux Outlaws has started doing this, where they say what date they're recording, just in case there's confusions about date. Uh, and so we're actually recording on. You mean confusions January. about? About because if you say things, because the whole podcasting in the oh, past. Oh, thing. because of tra- time travel. Yeah. Uh, Stephen so. Colbert made a comment. Well, yeah, well, they always could. The, yeah. I apologize if the there was just a buzzing. I was playing with the wire, but uh, I won't do that anymore. Okay. So, oh yeah, so there was a a, a joke on Colbert about traveling in time. Well, because they always they were trying every time there's a major election of any kind or anything, they have to record before it actually has results. Right. That was probably what it was about about the one of the Republican primaries. If you guys come to New York, you should uh, go to a filming of Colbert. Yeah, we saw the hundredth episode. Oh, I forgot I that it was. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was the hundredth episode. That was really fun. Well, actually, it was a bad one to have gotten tickets for, other than you'll never forget which episode it was. Right. Because he, he did a lot of clips, remember? And it was all on the monitors. Yeah, yeah. There was less actual show. There was a guest, clips. but the guest wasn't too impressive. Well, the guest for the Daily Show was horrible, remember? It was uh, the one of the those comedians who has one of those really bad movies. Oh, yeah. That was the horror. That was back when Daily Show was still having. Because uh, Karen and I went to both. Record. We went. We did. We went yeah. to Daily Show and we went to Colbert with my dad. Yes, Colbert was with your dad, and Colbert <laughs> yeah. said your dad looked like Ted Turner, which he does not. Well, that was weird. They Very just have the same mustache. It's the only thing your dad has in common. <laughs> that, that Ted, your dad does have the same mustache as Ted Turner, but otherwise he does not look anything like. My dad him. thought it was the funniest thing. Yeah. that ever happened to him. Ever happened to ever? Well, yeah. I don't know. That probably that week. That week for sure. He thought it was very funny. Yeah. So. Um, so we had to record today, um, which is a Sunday. Um, because I'm heading out on Wednesday for Linux Conf and Australia. And with this, I'm just checking to see if this is going to have the date of your keynote. This will come out. Yeah, and uh, so by your clock, listeners, Karen <laughs> will be keynoting in two days at. I really want to do like Linux a Wayne's Conf World. But <laughs> <laughs> we're talking about the future. I know. <laughs> so not the past. So uh, you'll be keynoting at Linux Conf Australia. Yeah. On Thursday. Yeah, and I'm Thursday giving another 19th. talk actually about um, about nonprofits and organizational issues as well. I forget what I think it's on Tuesday. Um, so am I actually giving two talks? But oh, that's good. So yeah. so you'll have. I figure once you go all the way to Australia. Yeah, um, I'm I'm excited about that though, and also right before LinuxConf Australia is um, is Ada Camp Melbourne. So um, I'm I'm really excited that I haven't been to an Ada Camp before. So is that about Ada Lovelace? I, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a day to gather women in technology. And, um, and I think it's sort of an open conference format type thing. Um, so I've never, I've never done that. And I'm, I'm really excited about it. Um, I've noticed that, you know, as, as we've sort of 
gotten more involved in free software conferences and, and things like that, I've, I've realized that there, there, there really is a, a need to talk about these issues. I remember, you know, when I was younger and, you know, when I came out of engineering school, I used to roll my eyes a little bit about some of the, you know, some of the discussion about, you know, we need to make sure that we have women included in, in this discussion or that discussion. I sort of felt well, you know, if women wanted to be involved in the discussion, they would be anyway. But I've noticed that as I've become more, um, gone down the road more in my career, that even, you know, that, that I'm falling into some of the traps that, that women often do. So I, I tend not to submit as many proposals as male counterparts. Sometimes I find that I don't promote myself in the same way. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. This is maybe a stage fright thing, but I freak out every time that I'm I'm going to talk somewhere, um, and uh, you know, uh, have to sort of convince myself that it's it's worth talking. Um, so it's kind of a funny a funny thing, and I I I know that a lot of women feel not all women. You can't generalize, um, you know, about any of these things because people are individuals. But um, I find that that it is really important to invite women to speak. Um, and to identify them as experts, even if you, for example, put out a call for papers and, you know, you get 30 responses, you know, it may still be worth inviting a, a, a woman to speak who didn't submit a proposal because women are simply less likely to submit proposals. Yeah, and you had uh, encouraged us to do that for the FOSDEM track, which I think was very valuable. I, I think there are a lot of people, I've actually always been for affirmative action myself, uh, that, that's a, it, it, it's not as hotly debated as it once was. Uh, affirmative action was, a, was heavily debated. I remember when I was in college, there was very aggressive debates in the United States about whether affirmative action was appropriate but for, for all different classes of underrepresented uh, people. My view is, is that it, it's got to be correct, mainly because the statistics shouldn't have worked out the way they did, and therefore there's obviously something wrong, right? If you look at the percentage of women in the population, which is actually 51%, as I recall, there's more women something in the world like that. right now. I don't know if that's still true, but... At one point, it was 51% yeah, women, 49% sure. men in the U.S. and actually worldwide. And then you look at, at just technology specifically, or free software, pretty much any way you cross-cut any science-like field you get these very low percentages of female participation. So there's something obviously wrong because statistics would say that it would have shaken, if everything was truly equal, it would have shaken out normally and we'd have 51% women and 49% well, men, right? I, I mean, know. it should have I mean, shaken out that way. Actually, it's funny that we mentioned my father before because I did have this long discussion with him because he's an engineer about the representation of women in engineering and mm -hmm. at his company. And they, you know, there are certain initiatives that they they do to, you know, and, and this was in the context of working hard on the GNOME Women's Outreach Program or Outreach Program for Women, um, you know, that I was talking to him about it. And I was so excited because it has such great results for GNOME. I sort of was shocking to um, to him about maybe implementing something similar for his engineering company. Um, and he sort of started going down the, and down the road of saying, well, look, not all women are interested in engineering in the same way that all men are. And it was a really fascinating discussion to have with him because, you know, he raised me as a science geek. You know, he always treated me, I mean, I would credit my father for, um, for a huge portion of my technical orientation. Like, I mean, I was always interested, but he, you know, he was constantly encouraging me, constantly working with me. And it was so helpful and so wonderful. And so it's funny to hear him sort of say, well, there is, there is a nature aspect to it too, where, you know, just women simply in general are not as interested in these kinds of, you know, these kinds of subject matter. So it's kind of funny because, you know, I, I and I think that, that you can't completely discount that. 
So when you say something's wrong, I think there there maybe is some difference between the sexes um, in terms of what people would tend to be interested in. But there are plenty of women who would be interested in sciences, plenty of women who are technology bent. And, um, and it's not simply, are we being inclusive? Is there something wrong that's keeping women out of technology? But it's also, who are we de- identifying as experts? And, you know, because, you know, I, I think you, it's just not a straight calculation of percentages in the way that you're describing. But we can, we, you know, there are things we can do to improve the situation. Do you think that women are socialized to be less self-promotional? Because one, one of the things that's true about free software, actually, and it differs in some way from other technology fields, that you actually have to be very self-promotional. The, the things like uh, like shepherding patches and and other types of things you have to do. You have to get on mailing lists and advocate for your direction for mm-hmm. a project. And you don't need to do that as much. Frankly, in proprietary software, you don't need to do that as much because you have managers telling you what to do. And so if you just, you can basically be a valuable person in a proprietary software project by basically doing what you're told in some sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in free software, doing what you're told is kind of the opposite of what you're supposed to do. Uh, you're supposed to do what you think is right. and. Do you think that women are socialized to not be as aggressive in their uh, advocating for their own work? And, and could that be a reason? That's interesting. I mean, you raise it and you ask me what I think. And I think I'm entirely unqualified to answer that question. Mm-hmm. Like, that is a really... Well, you're obviously not socialized for that because you just explained that your father helped you not be socialized that way. And well, but that's, you're, only, so you're not well, that's personally, only one, but, that's only one piece of the story, right? I mean, there's all of the social cues that one picks right. up when one's, you know... You know, when, you know, when I was a, a little girl, I wasn't, you know, it wasn't in a world that was completely controlled by one person or by two people. Both my parents were very, um, very encouraging of, of me. Um, and, you know, but, but there yeah, are these... you have your parents to, ba- if your parents are backing you up, it's, it's actually with really good parents, I think it's very easy to fight the world in some sense. Because your parent, even if the world is telling you a different thing, your parents but sort of back you up that it's But it's more subtle than that. It's a lot more subtle yeah. than that. Like there are all these, you know, and it's funny because there's all this conversation about this recently because there was a New York Times article, New York Times article that points to this, um, this YouTube video of this little girl in a toy store. Um, and she's, she's sort of her father's videotaping her and she's in this, like this whole row of toys. And, and she says, but I don't understand why do girls have to have pink things? Like, wh- why? And why do boys have to have other colored things? And I don't understand. I mean, it's, it's just amazing. And it's just really, really poignant. And she's, you know, I mean, to some extent, it's clear that they've had this conversation in their family. <laughs> and she's, you know, she's picked up on what's going on. But at the same time, it's really, you can just feel her frustration. And it's not coming from, you know, from her parents per se. You know, is she? This is a little girl in a toy store saying, "Well, you know, little some little girl, you know, little girls like you know, girls like princesses and superheroes. Like, why do we only have to have pink things?" And it, I don't know. So I mean, it just the there's there are all these messages and social cues that you pick up just by being alive, by watching television, by Mm -hmm. getting the toys that you get, by you know how people react to you in school. And all these things make. Very oh, and I, and I agree with you that, that these <laughs> these things are socialized, and that's and that's going back to affirmative action. That's why I'm for affirmative action because there's this concerted socialization effort that's a problem, and therefore we need affirmative action to help basically offset that. Uh, so so I, I, I so I'm for that, and I agree with you. I, I guess I, I guess my my question is basically. 
once what, what are the what's the difficulty in trying to overcome that once it's known? What do you mean? For you, for just take you for example. So obviously you're the executive director of a technology related nonprofit, so you're actively overcoming this on a daily basis, but is what is the how do you face is that is that a constant difficulty that you face or is no it- no no I mean well also the GNOME community is so awesome mm-hmm. that I don't you know I don't really feel I don't feel the obstacles that traditionally people might feel um, mm-hmm. in that community and um, and so that's pretty great I mean but on the other hand I would say that I highly doubt that I would have become a um, a speaker, a regular speaker at conferences if it hadn't been for affirmative action. And nobody's told me, incidentally, that I was chosen or invited or anything like that because I'm a woman. But, you know, I, I, sometimes my talks are accepted or, or I'm invited when I know really good talks, people who are awesome are not accepted. And, you know, I know that sometimes that probably has something to do with the fact that I'm a woman. And you know, and that has had a good effect in the end, truthfully, because now I'm, I, I've had a lot of experience speaking at conferences. I don't think I would have had been able to have done my medical devices talk if it hadn't been for all that lead up, you know, where I got all that, that basically that courage from having had all those, you know, successful speeches before. Um, you know, I, I, I fall into the same traps that many women do and that I, I, I probably, a wouldn't have submitted and and B would have downplayed my submission thinking, oh, well, you know, I'm not sure that anyone would have selected my proposal for it. Well, fear of public speaking is actually pretty universal. It's cross gender lines and cross racial lines and so forth. That's yeah, I, I remember seeing a, a, a thing about stress and there was they did this followed this CEO of some company around. And the only time when he had extremely high levels of stress was the three minutes before he had to speak that day in front of a party of his staff and everything else was, he had did all these other things that were on their surface would seem much more stressful because he was speaking in front of like 30 people, but it was, that was the highest stress That's moment. Funny. So I, I think, I think that the, the public speaking thing, I think there's fears, but do you think that that, that, that basically it's worse for women as far as that goes, as far as uh, the public speaking fear? Does, does it, does it sort of, I guess, intersect with these other issues such that it just makes it that much worse? I think it really does intersect with these other issues. But I would say with me, what's interesting is that I have no problem being in front of crowds. I'm really, really comfortable being in front of crowds. I have, you know, I just have, a, I get really nervous when I'm holding myself out as an expert. But I see. I always thought that that was for you personally. That was from your legal training. That that lawyer, your lawyers are sort of trained to to not opine in a public fashion on something. I don't as know. An I think that really dovetails nicely with my <laughs> with the with the. It was a good thing to hide behind too, and mm-hmm. uh, um, you know. And I think it really, you know, there must have been there is something to that as well. But um, but you know, when I was in college, I did a lot of theater. I you know. I, I directed plays and, and, and did welcome people to shows, you know, where there was a cra- packed audience and never was I that nervous for those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. But when I try to hold myself out as an expert on anything, even if it's not necessarily a legal thing, I, I get, I'm, I'm really nervous and I'm much less likely to suggest that I, that that opportunity arise in the first place, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, which is funny because that's what I've been doing a lot of for the last couple of years. Yeah, although I, I mean, I often, I think it was a long time before I felt that I could safely consider myself an expert on things. I, I probably, even to this day, I basically consider myself an expert on 
uh, nonprofit issues in free software, on free software licensing, and specifically GPL enforcement. And those are probably the only topics that I truly feel comfortable considering myself an expert on. There's lots of things in free software that I'm constantly afraid of being considered an expert on because I'm not as good a developer as a lot of other developers. And there's all these other things that I feel very not confident about that I often am in a situation where I have to hold myself as an expert on. Uh, and it's very, it's nerve wracking. Uh, yeah. Well, I so mean, I think it's true for everybody. Yeah. These issues, they're, they're complicated. And part of why they're complicated is because they cross gender lines. And when we talk about this stuff, it's mostly like women are more likely or less likely or, you know, and, you know, people are, are individuals. But I guess the, the truth is that when you, when you come down to it, if you don't go out of your way to try to get women to be present at conferences to speak, um, and to be identified as experts, um, for their writings to be included with public, you know, with, with work that is having, um, you know, attention pointed at it, then, you know, we just, we just get into this terrible situation where women will never most likely be included. So I, I don't know. I, I, I think it's, I, I probably would have said if someone had asked me, you know, a few years ago, would you want to be invited to a conference if you knew that you were being invited because in, in part because you were a woman, I probably would have said, no way. I don't want to, I don't, no desire to be part of that. Mm -hmm. Um, and now I sort of see that if, that it, it really was happening and, you know, and I gave some good talks, I think, <laughs> which yeah. I wouldn't have been able to have done otherwise. And, you know, uh, well, I always thought this was the, the last time I heavily debated affirmative action uh, with people was in college when when Clarence Thomas was uh, was being elected to or being I'm sorry, being confirmed to the Supreme Court. And the uh, philosophy professor I had in college made an interesting point, which is Clarence Thomas is against affirmative action. But the fact that his the fact that he's be, being put on the Supreme Court is a result of affirmative action, effectively. And so it's just an interesting point that, that, that you can be against affirmative action and also be a beneficiary of it to mm -hmm. some, some extent. Um, it sounds like you're now both for it and okay with being a beneficiary of it. I think so, because I, I think I see, I've seen the benefits a lot more. And, and I, now that I'm much more um, entrenched in the free software world, entrenched, <laughs> now that I'm much more involved in the free software world and been more, you know, spent a lot of time here, I see how few women there, there really are. And how these outreach programs, like the GNOME Women's Outreach Program, make such a big difference and get yeah, people excited. Yeah. And well, I'm, I'm completely for affirmative action in, in the free software world, uh, but both for both for gender equality and for for racial and and other types of diversity. I mean, we're not a very we're no, very it's even not, not worse even statistically, diverse, yeah, yeah, either as a community. Uh, and so, and so we, we need both types of affirmative action in, in free software. And I don't really know how we promote it, uh, more easily. I mean, I think the programs that Gnome Foundation is doing, the outreach program is useful in particular because it's, it's reaching out to people who are in school, uh, younger people who are still students, uh, because. Yeah, I, although there really is a wide age range. Which is yeah, cool. I, I understand that, but I think that it seemed... And there's also so some racial about. diversity, too, which is great. Yeah, I, th I, I agree with that, too. And, and uh, I've heard uh, some interviews on this. Uh, there was stuff on NPR about, about general issues of technology, uh, gender uh, affirmative action in, in technology, and proprietary software companies are actually very good at this. Uh, and they interview I heard this interview with a woman who went to work for Microsoft in part because of... The, the the programs Microsoft had internally uh, for 
affirmative action for gender, mm. uh, for women engineers and women developers. And so in some sense, I, from a purely um, almost mercenary point of view, if proprietary software companies are doing this, proprietary software companies are wooing women in technology away on this issue, that's a way that they can defeat free software in some sense, right? Because if proprietary software companies get this and the pe people like Adobe, like Microsoft are building these kinds of affirmative action programs and are better at it, which they probably are right now, uh, it basically means we have a less diverse community and, and a less diverse community means we're, free software is not going to be as good. Yeah. Uh, frankly, I mean, it's just, it's just true. I think so too. I mean, but you've also put your finger on another point with why we have fewer women too. I mean, you know, that it's also because it's also in part because there are so few women and minorities in, or le less of them in software. Generally they get hired, they get snapped up by proprietary software companies sometimes, mm -hmm. you know, at the very beginnings of their academic careers. Yeah. I mean, I'll never, I mean, I would never forget the career fair. The first career fair I went to is a, uh, you know, first year in college mm -hmm. in engineering school and just the interest I got from, you know, I didn't, I didn't know anything. I was, a, you know, 18 year old, you know, engineering, first year engineering student, didn't know a thing. And there were companies that were almost willing to hire me <laughs> right then and there. I've always wanted to ask you, so I'll ask you it on the air to make it uh, like uh -oh. a real action. So do you think that you went to law school because you felt there was more gender diversity and it was less of a uphill battle in the legal profession as opposed to definitely staying in not definitely not I went to so why the hell did you go to law school then? I really have to it's so funny when I talk to people who are you know law students who come to me for guidance or who are interested in technology or free software and say, you know, I just had somebody call me and say, I want your career path. I want to do what you did. How do I do it? And I sort of say and, you know, you know, this guy was just starting at law school, <laughs> sort of like, wow, you are so far beyond where I was. I went to law school because uh, I didn't really want to be an engineer. Um, and I went to engineering school and I really didn't know what I wanted to do. And um, nobody at the Cooper Union really went to law school. It was kind of like this different, quirky, unknown thing to do. So I just decided, hey. I want to go to law school. And then when I went to law school, I couldn't believe that there were so many women there. I didn't even think about the issue. And I was sitting in yeah. class and I was like, whoa, this is different. Yeah, because it's, it's pretty, the law profession is pretty, I mean, if you want to talk about actually equal gender, it seems to me it's pretty equal. Oh, it's equal in, the, in law school. In law school, there are more women than men. When you graduate at law firms, it then is like roughly equal, but every year in the profession, the number of women drops off oh, very, very steeply. And if you look at the- Well, law firms um, plus are so, such, basically if you take time off at all, like if you wanna have a family, then you sort of get screwed in law firms. It's getting, it's getting better. But yeah, I mean, and if you look at law firm partners, for example, yeah. there are very few. I mean, the, yeah. the percentage is completely skewed the other way. Well, that's a, that's true in computer science academics as well. The ACM did a, a survey recently, and, and it's, it's that same thing where you look at associate professors and there's plenty of gender diversity. And then each tier you go up to full professor, going up to dean, going up to other levels of academic uh, success, that's where the numbers start to look bad. Because you look at it, you go to the associate professor, you go to grad school in computer science, associate professor line in, in computer science, it's it's totally gender equal. 
like it's straight up 50 50 type arrangement right. and then as you go up the chain that's where it really the glass ceiling really starts to come into it's play. amazing and you know when i was at the law firm it was fascinating because um it was even more pronounced overseas which is where i was practicing cross-border securities law and we would we would we would go into these conference rooms and um and we would be doing these deals and then the room would split and like you'd get senior lawyers and management together to talk about some of the more important issues and then the junior lawyers would all go into the document room and be reviewing the documents and it would basically be like when you had that split all of the women would go out to the document review room and all the men would stay because all the management and the um you know there were exceptions but most of the management and the senior lawyers the partners were all men and so it was like the women went off to their <laughs> their menial work <laughs> and the men stayed to talk about the you know the big issues um i don't know i mean i think a lot, a lot of law firms are doing stuff to try to try to help change that but um but we've got powerful societal issues at work. And as I said at the beginning, like I don't being, I, I, it was, it was, um, you know, it's the old, if you're a woman in free software, you're asked to be an expert on women about free software. Yeah. Um, and well, that's what Selena Deckelman always complains about. Yeah. And, um, and, uh, Alex, uh, Curly Scud. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, also always says the, the, uh, the same thing. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it's tough. So I don't. I'm not. I'm no expert. I've read, you know, some articles, and um, you know, that refer to various studies of various sorts. But I don't, you know, I don't have a degree in this stuff, and I'm not an expert in it. Yeah, it I, just fascinates me, and I see anecdotally what effects it has. Yeah, I mean, basically, the the way I've always viewed this is, I, I came to the conclusion when I was in college that that obviously everything had to have been very easy for me because I was white and male. And that just that I just concluded that because it because it was I had so many people that I would interact with that were reporting things were more difficult and it's one of these things it's sort of it's sort of like it's actually very similar to um, why would anybody choose to be gay kind of thing because like it's so difficult to be gay in our society so obviously they can't be choosing to be gay and it's the same sort of thing it's like like. It, it, why would people just complain for no good reason in some sense of like, oh, it's so difficult to, uh, I have trouble, you know, getting, you know, getting interviews, whatever. Right. Like, like, why would people just make all that up? Oh, I mean, I can point and, to And it. that's what I came to the conclusion. It was like, it's like, it's either, either there's a broad conspiracy of, <laughs> of people who are not white men saying that it's difficult for them, like a, like a widespread worldwide conspiracy, or it must be true. Like, I mean, there's I, only two, only those two things you can do. It's obviously not a conspiracy. So it must be true. I mean, look, I had like completely supportive parents. And, you know, as I said, that wasn't an issue when I was, you know, in my home. But I had a calculus teacher tell me that only girls, you know, only girls were, could do math, you know, and that I what, shouldn't bother. That only girls Not could that do only, math. but that only, only, I'm sorry, only, sorry, that only boys were good at, were good okay, at math. Okay, you said that backwards. Sorry about that. I totally <laughs> said that backwards. But like, you know, where, that I shouldn't really bother, basically. And so, you know, it made me feel like, oh, I really need to. I really need, you know, I'm, I'm going to get a five on that, you know, on that AP exam, because just to show you, I'll be the only one in your class and all your, you know, all the boys that you think are going to be you, so much Did better. you get a five? Yeah. Did you own AB or BC or did you take both? I took AB because we didn't have the, we didn't, we just didn't cover the material for BC. Yeah. I never took, I took it two years. So I took AB and then I could have taken the BC exam, but weirdly the you know, undergraduate institution I went to, it gave you full credit. They treated the AB and the BC exam as basically the same. It was weird. Oh. 
So that it was very, weird. very, it was very weird. But I, did, I was like, really? And so I did, just didn't take the BC. I never, I didn't want to pay for it, so I didn't sit uh, for the BC exam. We just didn't have the, um, we didn't have the curriculum in the in our calculus class. To oh, take that BC. sucks. Yeah, I took geometry over the summer, my my sophomore year of high school, so that I could, so that I could be sure I took BC, which I ended up not needing, which was pretty funny. Um, and then I took Calc three as an elective, which was strange. I don't know why I did that. Huh. I just felt like I should like take some college calculus, so I took well, calculus. Yeah, as an elective. Cooper, you probably had to. At Cooper, you can't place out of any calculus anyway. Yeah, well, so. you pro- and you probably had to take calc three anyway as a requirement at a place like Cooper. Oh, loads of math, well beyond. I mean, they, they didn't call it. Uh, there were only two calc classes, but they covered three. What would our three semesters elsewhere? So but you they did also, pull the coordinates and everything. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that was, I barely remember what what I did, but. That um, was cal- it, it, double, it was such double, a long time ago. The, the main topic points I remember being in Calc three were were double integrals over oh, different well, coordinate sure. systems and and then polar coordinates, which is why why you end up doing double integrals double integrals over different coordinate systems. Right, right. Um, which which I guess you need somebody needs. I never needed it, but I, I presume engineers need that. Engineers need that. I don't remember like so much. I found I was going through my parents' house to clean out some stuff um, the other day and. Uh, I, I found all these like notebooks and test exams that from college and I could see it was like in my handwriting. <laughs> it's like, I don't know, like I literally like a different person wrote this because I can't remember a thing. I can't, yeah, the, the notes, I didn't even understand the language, yeah. you know, the notes I really wish I knew where they were are from my graduate level theory of computation class. That was the theory I really wish that I, I could always do because I think theory of computation is really important. But that's. A great I started idea, I to uh, I started to re relearn calculus because I feel like, it, you know, it was such a big part of how I thought and what I did that you know the the idea that I can't remember. Stan's liver was on TV last night. Was it? Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, that's like it's it's the only Hollywood movie about calculus. Is that so. true? I'm pretty sure. Can you name another listeners? I'm write not in. At, I'm not good write at movies. in. Write in if you yeah. know of another Hollywood produced movie about calculus other than Stand and Deliver. I I I defy anyone. When you say Stand and Deliver, I just think of the uh, Adam and the Ant song. Oh no, I'm talking about like I'm talking about the uh, Edward uh, Edward James almost playing the professor. Right, I the remember teacher. the movie. Yeah. Roughly. With Lou Diamond Phillips strangely I playing. I forgot that it was You're talking about it, like weird, weird racial things. Lou Diamond Phillips playing a Latino when he's actually Native American. That's weird. Mm. Um, but I guess the, the, as Hollywood thinks, all races can be uh, – anybody who's not white can just be interchanged. <laughs> uh, and it all works somehow. But yeah. So, but, I bet uh, there's another movie about calculus. I, I, I defy anyone to f- tell me. Okay, so so I want to say there because there's probably some independent film about are we gonna, calculus. Are we gonna are we gonna bet? Uh, I'll bet. I'll bet. Yeah. How and much when you I say bet? about I'll calculus, even I'm just gonna say features prominently. Features prominently is fine. It has to be. It can't just be some random independent film. It had to be something that had like a wide release, like a major okay. film, like a major film. We'll, we'll 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 negotiate about whether something counts as a major film. But I think. Um, what about? So I have one maybe, but. What about like Goodwill Hunting? Which but he wasn't really oh, physics, no. right? no, he wasn't doing. There was no calculus in that movie. There was no calculus in that movie. There was no calculus in that movie. Oh, okay. 
I mean, it I was don't, math. I don't it was about remember. math. I agree. If if I had said math, you'd have me. But we said calculus, calculus, calculus specifically. I I defy you to go through Goodwill Hunting and find anything that's calculus in that movie. Oh, really? I just don't remember what it was about. Well, cause it's supposed to be all advanced math. I mean, maybe it's really simple math because what they put on the boards. Actually, I was watching. Um, this is I'm really off topic now, but I was watching the the this show they have on CNBC or something called American Greed. And it was about because it was I was watching it because it was about some person who ran one of these carding forums for credit cards and was breaking into machines, stealing credit card numbers. And every time they showed the, like he broke into the computer and stuff, it was an output from a from what looked like rsync building symlinks <laughs> in Debian. Because my wife was like, I just she's like, I just saw De- the word Debian go by. I was like, yeah, I was like that, and I slowed it down. It looked like output from rsync. Then later on, it was clearly get this, it was probably a LGPL violation. It was clearly the Python bindings for Dbus. Because it was clearly stuff written in C to 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 be Python code, like code that, that hooks up to a Why Python API in C. But it was, it, but I, I slowed it down and looked at it, and it was symbols for Dbus. Like I saw Dbus, this, that, Why and the other thing. Said, just because they figured nobody. Well, nobody my, cares. my my wife theorized that they just basically had some buddy who knew something about computers on the staff say make some output on a green you know it's the usual green screen like terminal yeah. output make something that looks make stuff scroll well they had two versions of because they could be using the same thing the, the, they, the, they must have said make something that scrolls by which is what he used that rsync making right, symlinks right, right, output right. for because that scrolls and then they said make it look like code and he just grabbed uh, some Python, uh, the Python bindings for Dbus, which I was pointing out is probably an LGPL violation because I got no source or offer, um, and it was distributed hilarious. to me as video, and therefore it was an LGPL violation because because that's not a preferred form for modif- the, the screen output is not a preferred form for modification. Have you seen antitrust? Um, no, but that but but that you know that. Isn't that the one that Miguel de Acasa had a cameo in? Did he? Or no, was it a different I never movie? heard about Antitrust until a couple of days ago. Miguel de Acasa had a cameo in one of those movies like that. It might not have been Antitrust, I'm not sure. Wow. Yeah, you didn't know that? No. Yeah, so now you, act me, you act as if I would know that. Well, but um, but Miguel Miguel used to run the organization, you know, I the exact director of. <laughs> long time ago, of course, but But long, how would long I know ago. that he had a cameo in... Because it was all over the it was all over the Gnome community. I'm teaching you Gnome history in real time. time. A long time, a long a long time, time ago. ago. It was a long time ago. It was a big deal in the Gnome community in like 2000. See, now I'm trying to get up a web browser and look for Miguel de I Acasa. I was a securities lawyer then. You probably were. Miguel de Acasa antitrust. Um, is that true? Um, yes, here it is. Oh my gosh. Anti yes. Now I really want to watch Dayakaso it. Picasso has cameo appearances in two thousand one in Antitrust and the Code. What's the code? I don't know. We're pulling up the Wikipedia entry now. The code is a Finnish made documentary. Oh, it's a documentary, so that's Oh okay. That's that doesn't count. Yeah. That, that has like Eric Allman and Alan Cox. And he has and, a cameo in but a cameo Antitrust. In Antitrust. Now I really want to watch actually Mike want, yeah. Mike was a big or like thought thinks that movie Antitrust is hilarious, which is how I wound up. Well, I think uh, I think it can't hold a candle to Pirates of Silicon Valley, which is the truth. We talked about we that. We totally talked show. about that one, which I never heard. I that one, never that saw one, before, that was a made before for our TV. discussion. That was a made-for-TV. But I loved it. <laughs> Did you actually watch it in the end? No, no? I just, just watched saw a the, portion the of it. one scene that we used that quote from yeah. in the previous episode. But I should watch it. Was, it. it was a funny... That's a, The Pirates of Silicon Valley is... is but amazing. Antitrust looks ridiculous. 
Yeah, I think I think Pirates of Silicon Valley was more ridiculous. More ridiculous than I think so. I've never seen Antitrust all the way through, but I think I speed through to find Miguel's scene in two thousand one. The whole like murdering, the whole like murder component. Miguel was super famous. I guess most people don't know this now because Miguel is just yet another free software celebrity like the rest of us. Famous fickle. Yeah, famous fickle, but but Miguel was huge. Miguel was probably the most famous free software later more open sourcey person in more famous than Richard early... Stallman? Miguel was more famous than Richard Stallman really? for a while for a while there for like a year and a half or wow yeah oh yeah I mean, they never asked Richard Stallman to be in a cameo in a movie well, he would probably there have may said... be many reasons for that well Richard probably would have said no that's the other right, thing right, right, that right, maybe right. maybe RMS was asked at some point and said no yeah um, but I don't think I think he would have mentioned if he had been asked I think I would know that but no, I don't think he has been but Miguel was asked to be as a cameo. So I mean, Miguel was Miguel was no, really I knew he was Miguel famous, was big. But I didn't know that he was. He was a big famous movie, famous movie cameo. Dude. Famous. That's awesome. He was famous. That's yeah. that's a awesome. That's like the best kind of awesome. He was a kind of a crossover technology. I mean, there was a point there where Miguel was sort of almost a crossover technology, like general technology celebrity. Cool. So, but that was it was brief. Famous fickle, as you say, it was very brief. Famous fickle. I I learned that the hard way too. Everybody does. I used to be more famous, and now I'm less famous, which is fine. I got it's, used to it. It's you know, it's kind of nice. Yeah. Why well, was fam- I was more famous because I was the director of FSF. Right. I mean, I mean, basically, I didn't realize that. I mean, I, I was a little uh, somewhat egotistical that I didn't realize that I was famous because I was executive director of FSF. And when I stopped being executive director of FSF, I stopped being famous, which is fine. You didn't stop being famous. I was a lot less famous. I was a lot more famous when I was executive director of FSF. Because it was really, you're really living off RMS's fame in some sense. Right. Because RMS is the founder of FSF, and then you're the executive director of the organization that Stallman founded. And right. So, which is fine. I don't, I don't mind not being as famous. I'm happy being on my, just, just struggling to stay on the B list, you know? Yeah. B list free software celebrity. That's good for me. Um, as long as I don't drop to the C list, that's, that's when I get sad. When I feel like I'm, I'm I heading think to I'm, the C I think I'm still sometimes on the C list. Oh, you're on the B list but now, for sure. But I'm solidly on B? You're solidly It on helps the B that list. I'm a woman. You have to work to stay on the B list, though. <laughs> it could. I mean, it may. I don't know. Um, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I'm not an A-list celebrity. That's definitely true. I'm very occasionally an A-list celebrity, but not really. You're I'm like, like an A-minus you'll be, you'll be at an A-list most. celebrity soon. But I... Eh. But everybody on the internet's famous to fifteen. All, all three of our listeners were a list to them. <laughs> I'm sure. So I'm sure, we're a list. It doesn't. The truth is that it really doesn't matter. The truth is that you keep working on things that things that are meaningful and and that you have messages that need to be conveyed and then that you convey them. Yeah, I think that's true. Um, it's it's true. The thing is, is that the fame makes it help. Make, you you get You're opportunities. You're occasionally an A as well. Are you saying just by, by the fact that I get a keynote once in a while at some Yeah, office? yeah. Yeah, but I've never been asked to keynote OzCon like you. You're a big, famous OzCon keynoter. I was, I was funny pairing this all with our affirmative action talk. Because <laughs> I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah. I've never been asked to keynote OzCon. I think that's probably... Yeah, to be on the A-list, you have to have been... I think, I think, I think certainly you have to have at least keynote OzCon one time. Even RMS got to keynote Ozcon, and I don't it's know. Ozcon. He I don't hates know. Ozcon. Yeah, <laughs> there is that. But uh, yeah, of course, Craig Mundy's also. I'm, I'm pretty sure you're still more famous than me. So um, am I more famous than Craig Mundy? People don't even remember who Craig Mundy is now. He's just some Craig like Mundy. random muckety muck at Microsoft. But at the time, he was he was infamous. 
I mean, there often. are loads of people who have keynoted at OSCON who are less famous than you. No, that can't be true. It's got to be true. Uh, now you're because nice. they, they also pack in the keynotes. That's true. They invented the 10-minute keynote. Yeah. Which I, what I hate about the 10-minute keynote is not that it's – I actually think their idea of the 10-minute keynote is a good idea. What I hate about the 10-minute keynote is when – and I won't say by name. Keynoters have done this. You know who you are. They use it to pitch a talk later. They try to basically make, yeah. make you come to their later talk, which I, I've seen two particular keynoters who basically their entire talk was a pitch for that, and I really bother there me. Are, I've, we've seen many more than two. More, more than yeah. – but I'm thinking of two specific ones. I've never ones. been given, yet, given two talks, the, given the chance to give the same talk twice or you know, a short yeah. version and a long version in a single conference. Yeah, but you used – I think you used the 10-minute keynote format very well. It, well, mine was 15 minutes. 15. Well, 10, 15. But yeah, yeah. yeah I, I – it, you did really good with that format. Thanks. It's that was hard. Really, it's really a hard. Oh well, yeah, but I think actually it's it's hard, but it's it it forces you to a certain type of concision that allows you to to deliver one very important message very well, which I think you did. Well, this is why I think that the the ten to fifteen minute keynotes are a good idea, and that it mm -hmm. it really it keeps the discussion very high level and very mm -hmm. point focused. So there are a lot more interesting things going. The on. The only reason Oscon can do that is because it's so heavily uh, staffed in the sense that they can, like you were saying, how they have the slide. You can see your own slides and, and oh yeah, all, they have that all set up in the right way. If it, you could not do that, like say like I came at Indiana Linux Fest last year. And there was no way because they were, it's a community event and they don't have the kind of, they couldn't hire a tech team to like set up all the well, stuff. And you know, when I did the, um, when I did Ignite NYC for the first time a few years ago, that was the first time I started talking about the medical devices. They just had the screen off to the side so that I was looking at the slides as they came up. I couldn't see the next slide. Um, which actually, I don't think I, I couldn't see that either at OSCON. I don't think. Well, but Ignite, um, Ignite's a special case, I think, because it's it's a single event designed for talks of that ilk. In a normal conference where most of your talks are going to be the thirty minute, forty five minute style, and then you have to have use the same for keynote, and you have to maybe convert room, which OSCON does in like seconds. It's they they, right. they, they get a venue staff that can convert the room. It's in an seconds. impressive operation. Yeah, but they, they that's why OSCON. That's part of the reason why OSCON's so freaking expensive. It's it's just basically priced out all community people at this point. What's that fourteen hundred dollars to go to OSCON now, or some crazy amount like that? Yeah, it's really expensive. I mean, I know I only go because I'm speaking. I mean, basically, I I, I talk I speak at OSCON. I guess they're going to hear this now and they look at my talk and not accept it. But uh, I speak at OSCON basically to go to OSCON because if I can't speak at OSCON, I, I can't it's go. It's the same it's, thing it's, for me. I can't oh, I need it. to submit my proposal because yeah, the deadline's they, coming. Yeah, and that's another thing that annoys me about it. That uh, the deadline's so early? The deadline's so early and they don't let you know early. Well, it's, it's, it's I, I need even, to plan. I don't even know, and I don't need to plan because I'm so last minute, but, but I can't, I don't know what I really want to talk about then. Like, it's, it's, it's six months away. Yeah. How do I know what the right thing to talk about is going to be? Yeah. It's so early. Yeah. So. I mean, the thing is, is that if you're going to do that early, why not to be a referee paper conference? Because at that point, you might as well write a paper, <laughs> you know? Because I mean, that's the big, like, I don't know if people know this, but there was a big divide at one point. And it's sort of why Usenix is not the forum for free software talks anymore, because there's this, you have to write a paper, it has to be the academic style. And that's why Usenix stopped it basically running free software-y kind of stuff because free software people didn't want to write papers. Right. And so that's sort of what opened up the realm for O'Reilly to do OSCON, first Pearl Conference, then OSCON. And the funny thing is, is now you have to submit to OSCON so early, you might as well, it might as well be that's a paper-based uh, refereed system. 
It's so, so funny. Silly. We have so many conferences in the free software world. We've got like yeah. just that we were I still talking like these the... community events better. Yeah. I, I swear I, th- these community events, like going to scale I, and going to those type of weekend events, you have to give up a weekend for them, which is tough for those of us who do this professionally, but I still do it because they're such better yeah. events than. Well, I'm excited for Fostem too. Like, I think that's going to well, be. Well, Fostem really is sort of the, the model of the weekend. Yeah free software volunteer run event i just wish it were a little longer i wish there were one day maybe additional because there's just so many things going on at once that i want to go to but that's the that's the whole thing is that it's it's that type of event oh but i should say that that if anybody if any of our listeners are going to fostem and are um are interested in participating in good marketing which is the kind of thing that is really great if you're trying to figure out how to get involved in a in a project um without developing i mean basically without writing code um, it's a really great way to do it. I'm going to do like a little, we're going to have like a little mini marketing meeting at Fostem. We've got so much going on. So. Yeah. And so sum up, if you're in Australia and you need to get to <laughs> LinuxConf Australia to see Karen Keener in a couple of days, as the time you're hearing this, about five days later, if you're in the Southern California area, you should come to see me speak. And also, I forgot to mention, I'm doing a buff. They they sort of could not on the not on not on big bugs. <laughs> not, 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 I'm not doing a a, a um, what did I say it was last week? Uh, last episode. Birds of uh, no, 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 it's not no, birds it of, bugs of a feather. Bugs of an exoskeleton. Bugs of an yeah, I'm not doing a bugs of an right, exoskeleton right, right, right. session on on bed bugs, but they did ask me to do um, a birds of a feather session on fundraising and nonprofits fundraising oh, for your cool. project. So I'm going to do that as well as doing a talk on GPL enforcement. Uh, it's pro- I'm probably going to be retiring. Um, uh, 12 years of uh, actually it's 13 years now anyway uh, but it was still called 12 years when I submitted it my uh, history of uh, compliance I'm probably okay. this scale will probably be my last I'm gonna retire that talk the last for on a the while. tour yeah I mean I, I I've been giving that talk for a year and a half now so I, I need to I need to I, there's only like one talk I've given more than once <laughs> yeah. I, I use talks for a while but I, I'm gonna that's gonna be my last time giving that talk I'm gonna I'm, I'm working on a new compliance related talk it's still gonna be compliance cool. related but it's gonna yeah. be, I'm actually working on a talk of embedded about embedded compliance and how to do embedded compliance so oh that's that's, that's, that's there's to. such a need for that yeah so I'm moving to that so that'll be I'm, I'm hoping to get I'm actually gonna be in February I'm gonna be at the embedded Linux conference in uh, in San Francisco uh, which is the, uh, I'm going to try to, I'm sliding back to look at calendar, and it is the week of the 13th of February, I believe. So I'll be at that. And, and then we're almost in March, and I'm going to be speaking at uh, South by Southwest. Oh, really? The Great. music festival, well, actually, at that conference. That's I'm pretty a, excited about, you see, know, that means about you're, that means giving your stuff away for free. list, maybe even A-list. Well, I'm on a panel. Okay. A. Okay. And B. But I'm, I'm pretty excited mm. because you know it's South by Southwest music, and the there's so much. There's there's so much turmoil in um, in the music business, and um, you know I think there's a real interest now in musicians to figure out how to release their stuff for free and how what the implications of that are. So 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 to, to run down again, Australians see Karen soon, <laughs> LinuxConf Australia, uh, Southern Californians see me at Scale. Um, Northern Californians see me at Embedded Linux Conf thereafter. Oh, I'm sorry, before that, see me and Karen if you're European at FOSDEM, then see me at Embedded Linux Conf, then see Karen at South by Southwest, then see me at Libra Planet in Boston if we you're can in keep, the We can Northeast. keep going with this. And... I think we're, well, that gets us through yeah. March. So and we'll, right. we'll remind you about these other ones uh, next time, uh, at least the ones that have not happened yet. But uh, Linux Conf Australia and Scale are the two coming up soon. So see those. Excellent. Okay. Freeze and Freedom is produced by Dan Lynch of halfbakemedia.com. 
Thanks to Mike Tarantino for our theme music. Rios and Freedom is licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 United States license. Please send any feedback to Ogcast, O-G-G-C-A-S-T, at faif.us and subscribe to the RSS feed on faif.us. Thank you.